Hello, Legacy Matters podcast listeners. Uh, this is Sam, of course, and I am in the studio late, just trying to get a few things done before I head home for the weekend. We wanted to reach out at the beginning of the show here and just let you know that uh, we're thinking of all of you. This coronavirus thing is very real, and uh, obviously it's got everyone everyone on edge and everyone thinking about things. Um, we, we have a little backlog of shows that, that we will continue to put out at regular intervals. These shows were recorded before the coronavirus scare became what it is. And uh, so I don't know, there, there might be a few, a few things that we say in there that, you know, are kind of foolish, but I, I doubt it. But maybe we've said some silly things, probably me, uh, maybe Jim, certainly not Sarah. Um, Sarah is, uh, you know, no longer uh, hot air ballooning or any of the other silly things that we we suggest she's doing when she's not able to be in here. Um, but we're, we're thinking of you, and we really appreciate all the support that you've given us, and we hope that you enjoy these shows and, uh, you know, cut us some slack on the uh, topics and stuff like that because I think our, our future shows that we do intend to keep producing, we will obviously be uh, acknowledging our, our new reality. So thanks again and enjoy the show and be safe. And I hope you're all doing well. Hey, everyone. Happy to have you here for another episode of Legacy Matters. Today, as usual, we will talk about whatever comes up with a slight leaning toward discussions of preserving your legacy, preparing for things to come, and sharing stories we find amusing. I'm all set. Good. All right. Okay. Let's, let's do this. Legacy Matters, folks. Thanks. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Legacy Matters. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Here we are. It's Jim and Sam, myself and Sam. Here we are. Yeah. Um, Thursday. We are in February. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. Oh, it is. Yeah. I just know this because Sarah told me. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you. So you're planning some real sweet things for. As for, always, for Amber, huh? You got it. Yeah. Yep, you got it. That's so. <laughs> all set. Anyways, um, here we are. We appreciate everyone subscribing. Thanks for the good comments. And thanks for the criticism, too, every now and then. Yeah. Um, and and thanks to those who um, comment with fact-checking. We, uh, we know how inaccurate the facts are that we display here in our show. So... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really makes us makes feel a big good. difference when someone <laughs> corrects us on our facts or our opinions or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and even when you correct us, uh, I'm there's a 98 percent chance that we get it wrong the next show if we oh, talk about it yeah, too. For so, sure, but we for do sure. appreciate it. Yep, we do. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, weather Mom. report, real quick here. It's beautiful out today. It's bright and sunny, but it's freezing. It's uh, minus like 11. My kids were so thoroughly convinced that they were going to be off school today. They, yeah. they, I mean, they they wanted to, uh, in preparation for today, they wanted to stay up real late, like it mm-hmm. was a week mm-hmm. weekend, yeah. 
because they they were like, Dad, it's going to be so cold. They're going to cancel school tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then I had to explain to them this morning that uh, if you set a threshold, like the district set a threshold. Yeah. And though we were pushing right up against the threshold. Right. It wasn't quite there. Yeah. And and they were like, I don't get it. Why wouldn't you just say it's close enough? And I'm like, well, the, that's... The funny thing is, is that exact same thing happened at my house. Did it? Too, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we had one of our... Uh, Your you live-in guests? Yeah, one of our kid kid guests that uh, spends a couple times a week with us. And uh, sure enough, same thing. Woke up this morning and was like, hey, and pissed. Really pissed. Like... <laughs> Like, they were supposed to cancel school today. You know, they were supposed to. And I'm like, well, they didn't. So Then my kids were pissed, too. And they were like, mm-hmm. they said something along the lines of, well, like, it's it's just like they don't even love us. So they don't care if we have to go to school when it's super cold. And I'm like, wait a minute. You mean they send a warm bus to take you to a heated right. school so you yeah. can spend the day learning? And that's hating you? That's not loving right, right. you? Sounds like love to me. And I drive. Yeah. You know, you drive him to school. Oh, oh yeah. it's a rough day. Yeah. Yep. Really sorry. You know, when I was a kid and it was super cold out and they canceled school, it, we lived out in the country and it right. was like a long walk down a really long driveway to a cold bus stop for a bus that I had to spend an hour on the bus. No shit. Really? Yeah. That's like it was an cold. old person story. I, it, I know. Yeah. I, I am kind of like an old person that yeah. way. I'm old, all right. We got to be right. done with this. Okay. Yep. Bright you. sunshine, real cold. Thanks for listening. We have a guest in here. Sam, would you like to introduce? I can guest? try. Yeah. We've got Ben Weaver. That's an easy one. I'm I know. You, <laughs> you, <laughs> I almost did it today. Usually I never I'm, it. I'm trying to pronounce some name that I just like completely fumble. And Jim's probably oh, as bad I'm or just, worse. No, I'm horrible. But Ben Weaver is ben Weaver, straight that's, up. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. yeah is it like English? You know, is is that an English surname, Weaver? Uh, I think there's, yeah, I believe there's some. I think it's actually like mm, Irish, possibly. Sure. But I don't know. Some Someone told me once it was German. But could, that could be that, I too. I don't know, honestly. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But it's... I'm just saying it's a very easy name for, for right. a guy who grew up in Minnesota to get out off the tongue there. I yeah. like it. Mm-hmm. I do, too. <laughs> so thanks, so, thanks for coming in. Mm-hmm. Ben, thanks for coming in. And speaking of all the complaining about the kids, I know that you came in. It looks like you rode in. Is that right? Yeah, I, I rode my bicycle in. Yeah, you're not, you're not bullshitting around. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, my, I rode my son to school this morning before before meetings and coming here but yep. yeah that's just a part of my life i right <laughs> um i love i love everything about being outside and the weather so yeah 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 i do too actually for the most part you know like the cold doesn't doesn't bother me but i like the way you put that because uh like if you dress up for it and you know what you're getting into like it's, it's all good it's really not that bad yeah. at all mm-hmm. nothing so, bad about it you wrote, so does your son, or child, I don't know, son? Yeah, it's my yeah. son, yeah. So on the bike with you? Well, usually he rides his own bike, but um, I kind of have a cutoff that if it's like as below zero as it was, especially with the wind this morning, that yeah. I have like a long tail bike that he just sits on the back of. Mm-hmm. So for those kinds of days, I ride that bike and just yep. cart him in. Right. Because it's about, we live in St. Paul and he goes to school in Minneapolis, so it's like a little over three miles. Okay. Yep. So on a super cold day like today, it's just not worth. Yeah. 
risking it. Sure. And I'm still trying to, he's six and a half. So I'm still working on creating positive experiences being outside. Right. Right. That's always a fine line. So, yep. That's cool. That's another good way of putting it. Yeah. I like my, my boys are 12 and 10 Mm -hmm. and uh, I love ice fishing and and other things outside. But, um, you know, there's a fine line between making them do things with you and sort of suffering through something. And then they hate doing it versus like, okay, so they only want to be out for an hour. That's fine. Let's just do an hour then. And, and then they had a good time and they've got a positive memory of it. And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That is nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, when I was a kid, they, I, I would have just been forced to be out there all day and I grew to love it, but maybe. Right. I mean, I loved it all the time anyway, but sure. But I can understand like, you know, my, I don't think my older brother goes ice fishing anymore. Cause he certainly, I don't think he liked being out there all day like that. So, hmm. yep. That's important. But anyway, so you ride your bike a lot. I a hear. lot, yeah. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. And you're a musician here mm-hmm. in town. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I like I spent, um, I see, it's almost, I think it's about 20, 20 years now, more mm-hmm. or less, since I started being like, okay, I'm not get, I'm not going to work a job. I'm going to be a musician. Mm-hmm. And then uh, getting close to 10 years, probably a little more like seven or eight that I... I started riding my bike as a form of transportation, um, Mm -hmm. really as like a, you know, mm, I don't know, a little bit of like a middle finger to the whole situation of like trying to be a musician and, um, struggling, but like having, having like more bones thrown at me than a lot of people in terms of like being signed to a record, uh, you know, a well-known smaller independent record label and touring all over the place, but still like not being able to really pay the bills in a, in a sustainable way yep. and feeling like I'm just going to make up my own rules then. And so I started riding a bike to local shows and then I started to do it um, further away. And then it just like was, I was like a dog with a bone and I just had, yeah. I just kept evolving it and growing it. Um, so I rode down the Mississippi river in 2015. Yeah played concerts along the way and then i rode around the great around lake superior and then i did around more of the great lakes and then this just gone on from there and then in 2018 i rode down the continental divide from banff to the u.s mexico border oh i saw i saw the map on that Mm -hmm. yeah i mean so yeah like with you coming in i was in i i was just telling sam i'm like holy shit man like it's pretty (laughs) impressive like that's that's uh, how how did that so and it's filmed too yeah we made a film of i i brought um all of the stuff up until that trip i had pretty much done solo Mm -hmm. um but then that trip i brought another rider with me who was a cinematographer and he filmed the whole trip okay and rode with me and then um we made a film out of it called music for free yeah it's very cool i mean it's it's a great like just catching you know from what i've seen of it and everything i mean um well i mean you're riding and you've got your equipment you've got your guitars Mm -hmm. yeah i carry both my guitar and banjo on the on the bike 
with yeah. me on the luggage rack, similar to the way that, you know, like a road touring person would carry panniers on either side of a rear rack. Mm-hmm. I just have a guitar on one side and a banjo on the other. Yeah. I mean, it, I didn't. So when I first saw it, I was like, I, I looked and then I thought I didn't, I wasn't sure what it was. I just thought it was like gear. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh my God, no, of course it's not gear. Like, and, and at first I thought maybe there was a van in front of you, you know? Yeah, that's what people always think. They're like, where's the support crew? And I'm like, there, right. isn't, there isn't one. And that's, I mean, that's my life. I've done, well, not that I don't have a tremendous like support network of people and family and friends, but you know, I've made it, I've, I've like been a path cutter, you know I mean? I've made it my own way like all the time. So I never even occurred to me that I would have somebody like in a car driving. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, so I'm, no, but, uh, so when you did this, like, well, I have a couple questions and how long did it take? And then did you have everything set up before you went? Like, yeah, when, well, the, 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 the divide trip was really a, like, that was a culmination in like a lot of years of gaining experience. And when I first started doing this, I was like, just took a very traditional kind of road touring, um, approach where I was like, all right, look at the state highway map. Like what's the most direct route on two lane roads and ride the shoulder. And then it evolved pretty quickly from there into like, now I want to ride, like I want to go the back way and I want to ride dirt roads. And because a lot of what I started to do when I went down the Mississippi river, was it really, it really made this relationship between the land and the water. And so then doing, doing music, uh, as a way of building bridges between communities and their local land and water. Um, so then I'll, that that opened the door to like being in more and more rural spaces or smaller smaller communities which then obviously made it a lot easier to ride more remote routes. So um the divide route that that route is the official route is like 2700 miles roughly. Mm-hmm. We rode about 3000 cuz we did a couple of detours into some other communities and that route is night like 90% dirt. Mm-hmm. So you're riding like it's a lot of um, forest service roads and gravel roads and farm roads and mm-hmm. ranch roads and stuff like that. Um, so everything on that trip was prearranged. We did some like impromptu mm-hmm. shows. Um, there's kind of this classic scene in the film where we came over this pass and there was a pickup truck that was stalled in like five feet of snow and they were <laughs> trying to get out and we offered to help them and they they didn't want our help and there really wasn't any way we could help them but it was a guy and his wife and two kids and they were all wearing flip-flops and as we were we were pushing our bikes through the snow away i was like i think maybe we should go back and ask them if they want to hear a song so we went back and they like sat on the tailgate of their pickup truck and i sang them a song and that's in the film but yeah. um we did a lot of we did a couple handful of things like that where we just saw people on like a remote road and they stopped they asked us what we were doing and we asked them what they were doing and we i would sing a song but otherwise we did so it was three thousand miles we rode it in uh 30 days and i played 15 concerts okay so what and we had eight we had eight days off because of logistics so we were riding like 150 to 180 miles a day that see i have i have two two of my camp kids who are now full-fledged adults but sam andries and uh spencer dylan rode that same route i think it was 2017 they did it though uh-huh. um or you know rode that mm-hmm. 2700 mile mm-hmm. 
route. I think they they were gravel most of the way too. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you know how much your route would have varied from theirs. We were they, there's an official so there's an official route called the Great Divide Mountain Bike Route. Okay, that is maintained by the Adventure Cycling Association, and it's the longest mapped mountain bike route in the world to date. Um, but but then they run a race called the Tour Divide, which basically uses that route. But there's a there's like a handful of places where like the route goes on the road, but there's single track or there's like more rugged sections um, that the race uses. So, so they, almost they, 200 miles a day, though. You did it in mm-hmm. 30, 30 days. Mm-hmm. God, I'm going to have to ask them how long and, I'm trying to look. And it then up and then you get to your destination and play. Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of. I mean, historically, that's kind of what I've done was I, I, I based this whole model of on riding a hundred miles a day and still being able to play a show. Mm-hmm. So up until this trip, like I was doing that and sometimes riding, riding 130 or I don't know. I don't know what the longest I ever rode in a day and then played a show. It might've been 150, but, <laughs> um, in this route, because of the logistics with all the elevation and just weather and stuff, we, we had it planned so that most of those really long days were riding days and then that we'd be like 30 miles from a town the next day or something Mm -hmm. um or we would have a lot of times we would ride a long day and then the show day would be a day off so that's why it took us 30 days because we had eight days off where we didn't ride at all right and are you camping then during those or are you well like about half the time we camped and then whenever there was a show we were always either in a town or you know mm-hmm. in some space where we were offered to stay the night so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so they i looked it up they did it in 2018 okay. so they were they were biking that same route 2700 miles says right yeah. here uh we we finished the divide and so they rode that same route the yeah. same the same summer you did yeah I th- the, the, their names sound super familiar i actually feel like are they younger guys yeah too like young. in their 20s yeah i think i met them <laughs> honestly yeah i think i did we'll have to compare instagram profiles afterwards i'm sure you did i think i did yeah yeah i mean you, it, like one it, of them had long hair like yeah long, yeah i totally met them yeah 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 sam andrews and spencer dylan and yeah. ben weaver were all yeah. we're all in the, i'm like blushing about this i just it, it's amazing to me that these these two kids i've known them both since they were you know, well, Sam, I've known since he was an infant and, uh, Spencer, since he was eight years old or whatever, his first summer at camp. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. They're super sweet guys. Yeah. 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 They are. They're two of the best guys I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's cool. That's amazing. Um, awesome. I can't wait to talk to them about this. So where are you from? Uh, here. I mean, here I was born, I was born in Oregon in like before I was in second grade, we moved like from Oregon to Texas to Wisconsin and then to Minnesota. But I've, I've more folks, Minnesotan. My, my, my mom was, my dad was kind of from all over. And where, where in Oregon? Eugene. Okay. I, I was born in Portland, oh, were you? but okay. my folks were Minnesotan and moved me back here when I was very young. Yeah. 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 Cool. So, um, when did you start music? Uh, I mean, I wanted to start music when I was in third grade, Yeah, but my mom was, we, I didn't have a musical family and my mom was like, didn't, she was a single mom and didn't have any money. So like buying a guitar or even trying to like put that piece together wasn't really within, um, her capacity at that time. So it wasn't until I was in, 
think the summer between eighth and ninth grade was when I, I found this old guitar that my aunt had owned when she was in college. And it's actually the guitar I use now on my bike. Um, (laughs) but that I learned how to play on that guitar and, and just kind of went from there. Right. Yeah. Okay. So your lyrics, I mean, how does this, how does this, uh, you know, when you're, when you're biking these long distance, I mean, just the endurance, the sort of aloneness and, you know, I, I know you have a person with you on. You don't always though, right? No, this was most times I don't. Does that inform a lot of your writing? Um, yeah, I, I would say that it's actually the other, in a way it's the other way around. And what I mean by that is like, um, my songs have always been, I mean, they've been about people and, and places and stories, but they've also really been like reflections of my interactions with being outside. And then more and more as I got older, that became a, a stronger presence. So when I started to ride the bike, like part of that decision was my songs are all about like wandering around outside anyways, but yet I'm like, I'm playing shows at the seventh street entry in in every town across the country. And that just feels like something is just not in alignment there. Um, so when I started to ride the bike, then it was like, Oh, now I feel aligned all of a sudden. And so why should I play in these venues? Why don't I play in spaces that are, you know, they sort of reciprocate the, the message of the song or the, the feeling of the songs. So that led me to the, just working with all these different types of organizations and not really having any kind of a, of a framework on what, what, or expectation on what a concert venue needs to look like, you know? Mm-hmm. So where um, do you play? Where do you play these days? I mean, well, everywhere. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, I mean I, there's like no, <clears throat> there's really no end to it. And I've created this thing that I do every month now, um, called wilder Buffalo rides. That's a, it's a collaboration between my friend strong Buffalo and I, who's a poet and a Dakota elder. And we basically like, I pick a, I pick a random wooded spot somewhere in the cities. And then I give that pin to two different bike shops and then they lead people there and the people don't know where they're going. And then we're there and we do a little concert. And, um, so, I mean, that happens all the time. A lot of times I will, I worked with the uh, Mississippi Watershed Management Organization a couple of years ago in the Holland neighborhood, and we did all these watershed rides around the neighborhood, and then like would do I would do a concert somewhere along the way, um, using bikes to help understand like where water goes and how water moves around a space. Awesome. Um, so I'm happiest when I'm performing outside somewhere as a part of like a, a gathering or a group that has got a larger message to it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, we're both. I know we're both like trying to wrap trying to my wrap, head around it. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I'm just the, well. So, it fits. It fits a lot of the themes that we've been sort of touching on for quite a while here. With yeah, you know, but it does. But you know, just the fact. I mean, I so I love riding bike. I love mountain biking. You know, and and it usually takes a while to kind of acclimate. You know, for a while. The, my favorite thing is if I can leave the phone at home. You know, and then just be out there by myself. But, you know, that sort of like movement, you know, next to a river, I would think is, you know, I can see where the two kind of run parallel, you know. Well, and so I and I guided canoe trips. That's how I know these kids. Right. Mm -hmm. I guided canoe trips and I love 
I love nothing more than a good, you know, 500 mile long canoe trip in the wilderness just to, for, for a lot of probably the same reasons you like biking around the great lakes and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. you get a lot of time, a lot of time absorbing the scenery at a pace where you can actually take the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause it's different when you're flying around in a car, no doubt. I mean, Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe, I mean, this is a place where I can like launch into what my work has really become in a lot of ways, because I think there's like, you can focus on the surface level of like, Hey, here's this guy who rides this bike and plays his music and right. that's kind of novel. And people think that's cool. Isn't that cute? Yeah. yeah. And that is kind of what it started as, but as someone who's constantly expanding as a human being, like that is that is just like the bare, the sort of like right. surface of what it has mm-hmm. become. And like what I've learned through all of the relationships that I've made, all the experiences I've had is like now informed me to take this skill and this, this, this tool and just try to go into spaces and talk to people about like, what, what are we doing here? You know, like uh, I'm doing a lot of stuff with climate grief and talking about climate change but all of that has got to do with the fact that like this earth, I believe is it's not a backdrop. Like it's not, it's not this place that we just sort of get to like perform on or that we get to like go and do our dance or interact with. It's like, it's actually a relationship. It, it's about relationships. And, um, you know, like that's this funny thing that happens to me on the bike all the time, especially when I used to take my kids to a different school that wasn't quite as bike friendly as the one that, that they go to now. Sure. Um, where there would always, I would always have these interactions on any day that was like hypothetically inclement, right? Some parent would say, wow, it's so cold. You're so much braver than I am. Or like, wow, how do you do that? And, and, um, you know, that's kind of like Midwest, you know, dealing with Mm -hmm. some stuff there, but, (laughs) but I would always just look at them and say like, I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, and, 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 um, I want to be in relationship to the people in my life, to the land in my life, to, you know, to everything, because then there is like give and take and there's a flow happening. And I think that, you know, dominant capitalist culture basically sets everybody up to be in, uh, you know, a taker mentality all the time. And mm-hmm. the the conflicts that we're facing are largely based on that situation and, and an unwillingness to, you know, cultivate the time and space in our life to take that apart and figure out a different way of, of courting with the world or forming a relationship. And that's what being on the bike all this time has given me an opportunity to be like, there is a completely different perspective here that we could be relating to the world through. So trying to then go out and create spaces where that can start to seed itself and grow and become uh, like an example for people. Well, I think, you know, we're, Mm -hmm. we're kind of used to a certain, um, a certain cadence and a certain style of things on the show. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to say that right now we're we're entering into a different world, kind of going into your world, and we're perfectly as oh yeah as two people who you know love nature and and are really concerned about the future, and we're we're making art through digital means in a mm-hmm. way, which is kind of a weird it's a it's a hard concept for us to even describe sometimes, but but I think 
I won't get too deep into it, but the idea that we live in a, in a modern digital world where, you know, our phones are important to us and they, they actually do serve a, pur- a purpose. There's a tool there. Mm-hmm. And even these microphones that we're sitting in front of, we're, we're being digitally recorded right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, we think a lot about, all right, if, if an app, if you don't think of the artist's hand behind an app being built, if you don't humanize it in that way, then, then you maybe can't produce things that actually bring benefit. If you're if you're only thinking of it as a tool to take money out of people's wallets and not a tool to connect people and uh, you know make a better place, then then we're using a digital tool and accepting that the mystery of it is just that it takes money from people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. so I think we have to we have to get our head around the idea that this is going to be more of a conversation about solving the world's problems well, than, than it is about getting to know Ben Weaver. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, I need to know Ben Weaver. No, I'm, I'm good with but, that, though. I, I like it. Um, well, you're, when you're talking, I mean, this is another thing, but you know, it just makes me think of um, how important it is to lay on the ground sometimes. You know, oh, my I, God. Like, for me, you know, like, you know, those moments you know, that I lay on the ground, you know, during summer or winter, you know, it doesn't happen very often for me. But when it does, I'm like, holy shit, I forgot what the ground feels like. Even though you're walking on the ground, there's something different about laying on the ground, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and can, can I yeah. touch on that? Yeah, of course. It's two things. So yeah. my son... My oh, son yeah, started, your son's doing that thing. Well, he started playing yeah, yeah, baseball, yeah. too, last year. And just sitting on the ground watching a kid play baseball or a group of kids it's yeah. so so enjoyable and it does change your changes your perspective on things and i i know that's such a simple little thing but well you're uh, so used to just walking around you know and getting to one place to the next one chair to the next chair or whatever you know yeah and it's you that, know i have the benefit of i've had the benefit my entire adult life of spending my summers at a place where i'm intimately connected to the earth and to ground and you know kind of you know a certain way took that for granted not really because i i made myself do it even when everyone else stopped i kept going back every year but um but i haven't done it for the last four or five years i've been out of this camp and 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 i'm my soul is missing being in the wilderness but but then last night so so my my two boys uh we we Decided to do a little, a 10-day, just no no movies, no video games. You know, they're pretty good anyway, but uh, but that's kind of their default go-to. If, you know, if they're bored, well, let's watch a movie or let's play a game, you know, a video game. So we, we're doing a 10-day challenge with them, and they brought it about. It's been great for them. But last night, I walk into my living room, and my 12-year-old is laying on the floor with his feet on the couch and his head under the uh our coffee table and i i kind of poke under there and i'm like hey tyson what are you doing you know (laughs) it's like well you know in the absence of a video games he says well i just wanted to see what it was like to lay in different spots in the house i've never seen the underside of this table (laughs) you know right and i thought i'm like damn it i 
I love it because that's exact. I would have done the exact same mm-hmm. thing as a mm-hmm. kid. Just sort of the wonderment of. Sounds like he's got a grant at the Walker uh, right around the corner. <laughs> I <laughs> like know? it. Yeah. So, so for the next hour, like he's in different spots around the house and he finally comes back into the living room and he's, he does have his phone and I, and he's laying, he's laying with his head against the wall in a weird spot in the corner. And I kind of ask him like, what are you doing on your phone though? Cause I thought we were, there's no phones. And he says, Oh, I, I'm just taking notes. I'm taking notes of what it's like to be in each spot. So I look through the notes really quick and it's like, he laid on the hard cement floor of my workroom in the basement and he's got like, cold uncomfortable wouldn't recommend it <laughs> that's so. pretty funny but the that. other thing when you're talking you know i it's it's really interesting when you uh describe stopping you know and it was snow like it, the picture in my mind you know too because i didn't watch all the video you mm-hmm. know but um you know i just think it's uh you know you're performing without walls you know obviously there's performance outside but mm-hmm. But to just do it on the side of the road like that for, for a couple people, I mean, what what is that like? I mean, what is their what's their response? Like, are they do they clap at the end? Yeah, I can't remember if they did or not. Honestly, I think they did. Yeah, I think they did. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a it's a journey that I love thinking about because in order to get to a place for me on my own path to be comfortable to have done that, I had to completely give up any judgment on myself yeah. or any idea of what perform not any idea, but I had to change the idea of what performance was or what my gift was as someone who would sing a song and like what that space looks like or what that interaction needs to be. And when I let go of all of those preconceived ones for a long time, realizing they weren't mine to begin with, then it opened up all this possibility. And then it becomes really exciting because you know that these people also more than likely have a preconceived idea of the conditions under which the exchange of performance should be happening under. Yeah, of course. And you're breaking all of them. So they're, they're like, they're getting expanded in the process too. And then that becomes the motivation. Do you, um, you wouldn't know in the moment, do you, but do you su- suspect that like if you've got a group of people and you play music for them and they didn't know it was like, you don't warn them or do you warn them before you do that? Like, does it matter? Do you tell them, Hey, I'm, I'm going to bust out a song. Yeah. Do you mind if I bust out a song or do you say I'm going to bust out a song or, you know, well, like, no, I mean, I always do it. I, I always kind of ask in terms of like, consent or an invitation or something yeah because would it be i mean i'm just i'm i'm playing with this just from this from thinking like what does this all mean right like if i'm let's say i'm somewhere and and my truck's stuck or something and some guy comes biking up to me and asks me if they can play a song for me i'm gonna say yes of course you Mm -hmm. know but i wonder how that interaction is different if that person doesn't ask me and just comes up to me and Mm -hmm. starts is that a more aggressive act? Yeah, I think that's weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it could be weird. I mean, but, but but you should try it. I mean, maybe it's not well, weird. You're, you're, what's what I think is interesting too is that um, you know there's sort of like this this interesting line that's happening too because it's it's also like performance art. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I you know it's like 
Well, here's a good example. I was yeah. watching. Do you know who the Zanga brothers are? Have you heard of them? I've heard of them. Yeah. There's really incredibly creative group of brothers and family from Canada and they do they're kind of probably mostly known for their tall bikes they make these crazy oh. beautiful tall bikes and <laughs> okay. have done all these this yep. touring but um they were talking about when they were growing up and they would make these films and they were always just kind of trying to do the craziest stuff like course, jump, like kids would do like yeah. jumping off roofs into like pickup trucks full of leaves and stuff like that but they were they were in town somewhere jumping off the roof of this building and the cops got called and the, the cops were like well do you have permission to do this why are you doing this and they were like well we're making a film and as soon as they said they were making a film <laughs> even though they were like teenagers <laughs> then they, the, the police were like okay well you should just ask for permission next time and in this little um, interview I saw with them they were they were kind of talking exactly what you're what you're referencing here which is like we have all these kind of like unspoken agreements with things and that's it's really interesting because if they were just jumping off the roof for the hell of it their response would be different but oh, as totally. soon as you say it's a film or art. you know it's art or get like away with anything for when art. I call people and say uh, you know I'm the cyclist and I'm a musician and I'm riding and I'm coming to your town I literally have never gotten a no in terms yeah, of right. asking for a concert. Whereas before when I used to book my own shows and I was calling all the venues or emailing the venues before I had an agent, it was like, it was endless. No. And yeah, you know, and endless, like trying to differentiate yourself from like the 800 other bands that are trying to get a show the same night you are. And that's been like a really beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. It's a way of disarming in mm -hmm. a way. And it's, and it's, yeah. How do you think that works though? What, what is it that triggers that disarm? Well, I think, I think it's something that you actually do naturally. And yeah. I think I, I tend to do it too. It's like, if you drop the armor, yeah. if you give up the pretense and the, and you, and you drop all the armor, then people, people either look at you and think like, well, who the fuck do you think you are being so confident? And you're like, Oh, you're mistaking, you're mistaking me just being in wonder of everything for confidence. I, you know, I don't know if it's confident or not. I just think the whole world is amazing. Everything that goes on here is amazing. Uh, it, it's like it's disarming to people when when your answer isn't from ego and from bravado. Mm -hmm. When it's because if you're emailing and saying I want to put on a concert in your town and someone's going to have to pay me. And I'm driving my vehicle in, and someone needs to take care of me. I'm I'm someone's problem almost at that mm -hmm, point. Mm -hmm. Versus, hey, I'm gonna be riding my bike in. I've got a guitar, and I'd like to play music for people. Now you're just offering something. Yeah, it's an invitation and it's a gift, and right. I think that's that's the other real difference. And this is probably a little bit of a leap, but it's something that I like to talk about too. That you know, when people when I hear people complain about just complain about the world in general right now, whether it's politics or whatever, as though, as though we're just like doomed, we're doomed. My immediate response is like, well, of course the situation is hopeless within the constraint of, of like a hopeless system, you know? Yeah. Within and, the, and within the context of your own mind already telling you that it's hopeless. Right. Yeah. And so when you call someone and you say, I'm coming to your town and I'm riding my bike and I'm going to play free shows, that's, out of it's that's that's <laughs> out of that thought pattern right so like it it does because it's out of those thought patterns there's no thought pattern 
to like react negatively against it, you know? Right. So, so right. we play two games. We'll, we'll have to take a quick break here in just a moment. I think, I mean, it's yeah. 40 minutes in, but, but two things, uh, when I, when I reach out to people I've never met before to have them on the show or to just meet them and talk business or whatever, uh, I'm, I mean, every word I say, I always, I often lead with something like, look, we have a podcast. It's not the biggest deal in the world. You know, I, there's some listeners, but it's, you're not going to get anything out of this and I'm not going to get anything out of, out of, uh, having you on. It's not like a transactions taking place. I just want to meet you. Mm -hmm. Are you, would you, would you consider coming in and talking to us? You know, and that. I tend to get a lot better response from that than trying to pretend as if there's something super important in being on our show. Like you're going to get something so big out of this, you know, it's not, we're not, we're not. Ben was thinking it was something bigger. <laughs> Ben's like, you mean I'm not getting shit for this? <laughs> no, but it's, we play a game with his art too, where I like. can't give it all away. I'm with, no, no, no. I meant like you're going to cats out of the bag as they say oh i'm not gonna give it all away okay. but uh because we want to keep playing the game but but it there is a there is a huge difference between someone receiving jim's art and he's had a couple shows at the mia he's very gifted in what he does big difference between someone receiving it as a gift or, and someone paying for it mm -hmm. and that is it's such a weird thing because the object itself doesn't change Right. But but every perception around it, every other thing around it changes mm -hmm. and therefore kind of changes the art. Like it, what what effect does our perception have on our reality basically is what I'm getting at because mm -hmm. the art never changed. So mm -hmm. the planet's here, it's no different. I look at it like and we can get into this when we come back, but the planet is going to be here long after we've made it oh, yeah. uninhabitable for all right. of us. So it's really, our, we're doing this to ourselves. Yeah, it's like light. I, I woke up this morning thinking about this, like like we are, I, I mean, I believe humans are light, are a form of light. And sure. we work with light. And, but also light is, light is this thing, you know? And um, if you believe like, what is it? Uh, the guy Bone or whatever, or Bon, who did the like, who basically did all these, these, experiments saying that like light is neither oh b-o-h-n yeah, yeah yeah it's like it depends on the unit the measurement right. determines the form of the thing that emerges like i sometimes think that that's what what you just said that's what we're talking about we're we're living at this point in time where the the dominant culture has been measuring earth through one slit in a piece of paper and mm -hmm. the forms that have emerged have basically become um, quantitative because that's the, that's the unit of measurement. There are other groups of people, other humans who have had qualitative relationships with the earth and some of sure. them are still here. Um, but like, that's, that's like the fork in the road, I feel like. And the relationships that the way that we are, the problems that we are dealing with are based I mean, it's a lot of things and it's way more complex <laughs> yeah. than one word. <laughs> but I also think not. that you could, you can follow <laughs> the thread back to like quantitative versus qualitative and, and everything like the art thing, mm -hmm. you know, like the money exchange that is about quantity and the gift is about the quality. And, you know, 
that there there that to me is the big the big it's, difference. I, I just I think the whole thing is really it's just a really interesting thing to watch the interplay between like a person's mind and the perceived value and the perception of what's happening mm-hmm. when you give them a gift of something rather than expect them to pay for so like your concerts. We'll get we'll take a break. Yeah. We'll come back and, and solve all of the rest of the world's problems, I think, probably in the second half. Like, I don't think so. No, you don't no, think so? I don't think they're, I don't think they're, they're I don't I'm think so. Yeah, don't believe <laughs> We don't have any solving anything. Right, right. The look on your face. Like, that was, uh, got that a was, little, he's like, what? Yeah, no, that was a little bit of humor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Real funny, Sam. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Today's show is brought to you by the Andalin app, a first-of-its-kind digital legacy preservation app that allows you to digitally attach photos, videos, and audio recordings to the places and objects you love. Imagine hearing your grandmother's voice telling the stories of your family heirlooms. Preserve your memories, prepare for the future, and share with those you love. Andalin, available in the App Store and Google Play. Visit andalin.app for more information. Need some help with a construction project? Looking for thoughtful design and honest answers about what is possible and what is not? Kinetic Design Build is a full-service boutique remodeler servicing residential and commercial clients in the Twin Cities. Design and build with purpose. Visit kineticdesignbuild.com to request a consultation. Packing for a trip? Let Pack Simply give you a little help by delivering travel-safe products directly to your door in an airport security-safe pouch. Unbelievably easy and surprisingly simple. Make your life easier. Visit PackSimply.com. Interested in art? James Holmberg is both an artist and an art consultant. His strong connections in the Minnesota art world give him a unique perspective on the talented pool of artists from our region. Let James guide you to an original work that will come alive in your home. Visit JamesHolmberg.com to find out more. All right. Do you want to go on a wilderness adventure with me, Sam? Or maybe you know a group of kids who could benefit from an extended break from their electronics. Or maybe you just need a break from those kids. Visit earthedfound.org for more information about how to get started. For information about becoming a sponsor of Legacy Matters, please visit LegacyMattersPodcast.com. Fidget things and my rubber band that I play with here. He does. Yeah, you know. <laughs> All right, we're Coffee. we're back, you two. All right, welcome back. Welcome back, Ben Weaver. So during the break, we uh, we determined that it probably was not Sam Andrews and Spencer Dillon that you ran into <laughs> on the trip, but but two other kids around in their mid or early twenties. Yeah, biking it. Um, that and that doesn't mean that you didn't that they're not aware of you or that you didn't run into each other right. on the trip, but it still might have happened. Still might have happened, but uh, they could have been at a show. I mean, who knows? Yeah. So, uh, my little joke about uh, changing the world. I, what I'm, you know, that's just a joke. Like you sit around and, you know, you have a campfire, and by the end of it, you're Someone's like, well, I guess we it. solved all the world's problems. Yeah, you know, but. Uh, but the reality is, like, we, it's not that we shy away from getting into deeper conversations uh, on this. We, we absolutely don't. But 
you know, I when you're talking about some, the sort of the metaphysical or whatever, you're talking about the universe and and all of this stuff. Like, I'm no expert. You know, there's someone there's someone out there who we could have on, and they could do their thing and speak expertly about Hinduism or something. You know, but but this is more. This is more just uh, we just got to know you. We just met you, and now we're we're talking about our own feelings about what's going on in the world, and and I think there's value in that too. So I'm I'm happy well, to engage in that. Well, one thing that you brought up that I love is you know I'll talk about light all day because that is the subject matter of of the work that I do. You mm-hmm. know, and sort of like even when you uh, reference that little slit, you know, I mean it's sort of like you know that's something that I've been addressing for years, you know, as openings and in, into different atmospheric conditions and, and light reveals depth, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, he, he pointed out to me a while back that these, these paintings, you know, his, his style and what he does here with these, uh, yeah, boxes the square and boxes ones. And yeah, stuff. it's like a window sort of is what it is, but it plays, you know, back and forth, you know, which is forward, which is backwards, mm-hmm. you know, but well, and it, and it, gives you the opportunity it challenges you somewhat when you're standing in front of it to look into it and see what you want to see in it yeah it gives your mind a place to kind of wander and create a subject matter you know or a point of reference in it because it's void of that right now yeah versus versus like when you were a kid and you did a duck right right and when you do a duck it's a duck you're like look if you think this is a a turkey you're wrong or an elephant you're wrong right. you know i'm trying to make this look as much like a duck as i possibly can with all my little art strokes and everything yep. whereas this is like i can see i can see people looking at these paintings going well i don't get it what the fuck is it you know there's like, nothing there well you got That's the you, point you got to look at yourself is what you're doing mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you yeah gotta think it's a about point things. of uh, reflection which speaking of is going to go into my next question for you, Ben, because I know you have um, a variety of books out. Can you kind of talk about some of those? That's poetry, some of them, right? A yeah. Them. I'm, it's all poetry, to yeah. my knowledge. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No <laughs> short can... stories. <laughs> well, I did write, I do actually have a short, couple of short stories published in some collections, I suppose. But um, most of the books you're probably talking about are books I've made. and And also similar to the bike and the music thing like um i spent a long time you know doing the thing of like trying to get poems published in journals and like submitting manuscripts and 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 around the same time that i started riding the bike to my shows um i followed an intuition that i'd had for a long time of learning how to letterpress print and typeset so that i could become the means to my own production mm-hmm. and then I continued submitting work and like trying to get to get things published traditionally. But then at a certain point it was like, I'm making, I'm making these books on my own and I'm selling them and I'm granted reaching a smaller audience, but I'm like for, for a financial kind of like hustle salad that I'm always working on. It's actually better for me. Hustle salad. Yeah. I like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because that's one of the questions I've got for you when you're. And, and so, um, so yeah, I've got I've like published one book called Ragged Ass Joy, which is basically like my manifesto. Uh, what I mean, it's evolved, but my manifesto that I wrote kind of at the time when I all this stuff started happening in my life of shifting from traditional music to 
riding the bike and stuff. Um, and then I've done a bunch of smaller books and now I have a, one of the ways that I kind of am building a support for my work is by doing a poetry subscription. So I have like a core, it's called bike wilder poetry CSA. And so each quarter I, I make a poem into a, a like a, a hand sewn letterpress printed book. And so people pay a certain amount, it's a hundred bucks a year. And then each quarter mm-hmm. you get a, an, another book, a hundred dollars a year and it's hand. And you made. get four, mm-hmm. four handmade books a year. Mm-hmm. And, and I, <laughs> so you're, it sounds like you're, you're going to get rich off of that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> no, like, well, I was thinking that I thought you were going to say like, that's a really good deal. Cause that is, it is a good deal. Yeah. And, and I don't it's, mean that like you're doing like, something wrong. I mean, like, like that is, that is such a bargain for yeah. four handmade objects that someone actually cared about. But to someone who understands what goes into that, it's a bargain. But God, to someone yeah. who doesn't, it's not. And the other point of it is like, if you're going to change, like as soon as you get into letterpress printing and bookmaking, right? You, If you do that in the way that like, you know, people who are in that world think of it, then all of a sudden you just left like an enormous amount of the population behind. Of course. Right? Yeah. And and in my mind, you left like probably some of the most critical people of the population behind. Probably. Yeah. But if you if you if you make something that's beautiful and you figure out a way to do it that is affordable to anybody, then all of a sudden you just you just made it possible mm-hmm. to introduce a whole group of people who didn't have any idea that this existed or that they even wanted it into something that was otherwise only for the elite. So that's yep. why like I think of it and these are not my words there was the, there's an incredibly awesome printer who inspired me a lot named Don Olson and he used to he made all of these little booklets and he would say that he was not a fine printer he was a nice printer <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> got it yep, and yep. i lo- and i i love that because i liked what i love about letterpress printing is that you doesn't matter how how refined you get there is always going to be a mistake sure and that and i like to walk that line of like like which mistake or plural mistakes. Well, am I going to leave this time to show that I still made this with my hand and it wasn't? That's, that's the human hand, in you it. know. Um, it's artist's hand, yeah. That's that's awesome. So that's where the the subscription thing comes from, and also a dedication to, like, I'm not trying to live in like I don't want to go to Florida like on right. vacation. I don't want to own a BMW. Plus I don't. Bike. If you bike down there and do concerts, why not? Right. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like <laughs> I'm not trying to support like an Amazon lifestyle. No, right. Like, I don't care about any of that stuff. So I'm more interested in like you don't really need that much money to live. And so if I'm trying to support myself as an artist to live in tandem with these other people that are living this lifestyle, that isn't going to work. And that's and I'm going to struggle. But if I'm using my art to support a life that I, that I do want, it's actually been surprisingly easy in, in an economical sense. And, mm-hmm. and you know I think, tra- you know, yeah. no, I, yeah. I, yeah. I do get what you're saying. And I think there's, it's funny because there's sort of a, there's sort of a luxury in that. Like there's sort of, and I'm not trying to call you out in any way. So just bear with me as I walk <laughs> through this. Well, because I, because there are so many people who who are disadvantaged in ways that that 
I could never understand. You know, I, I mean, I can, I, I can understand it. Now I understand it. What I'm saying is when I was a kid, I didn't know. I thought that, I thought that the adults of the world, in the world I lived in as a child, had a good handle on how to make things fairly fair for everybody. And that they were really, they were actually telling me the truth when they said to all of us kids, you can be whatever you want and we love you all and everybody's equal. And, you know, I thought they meant that. And then as I grew up, I realized like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of people who they, they're like, they already lost the race before the race even started. And, and here I am, like, I think I've, I like I can't do any wrong. The whole safety net is built out there for me because mm-hmm. I'm a middle-aged white guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so I wonder like like if it wouldn't work, we can't have I I would assume we can't have an organized society doing the things we do to even have a bike be made or whatever if if everybody does exactly what you do, right? Like do you do you think that like if if everyone lived the way you lived would we be able to have an organized society that does things like we do i don't know i mean <laughs> I, I mean that's why like when people call me an environmentalist or <laughs> right. a conservationist <laughs> right. or whatever i'm like absolutely not because you're just this, living your life this environment i'm not interested in preserving this environment or or what the dnr is trying to conserve i'm not interested in conserving that like right. there, that's a whole other conversation but like there's something else so like if everyone lived like me whatever that means right um (laughs) you know i don't i don't even know what that means but if everybody lived like me no there wouldn't be people living in condos (laughs) but (laughs) but there'd be something different and i don't know that i I definitely would never want to be in a situation where i'm claiming that the way that i'm living is the right way and that if everybody lived like me there'd be something better as opposed to what there is and right I now and i think i think that's what sometimes what people get hung up on is is like if so you're if if you're just living differently then are you an activist are you trying to say that you've got all the answers or are you saying i'm just this is choosing, what i'm doing choosing, choosing what, a, what you want choosing to do. a thing right it's like when people say um, God, you're so much more brave than me to be riding your yeah. bike today or whatever. It's like, um, what, what I'm, the only thing that I really believe in and that I really care about is the soul of the land. Yeah. And that includes the water yeah. and, and the water and the land are not separate to me. And I mean, really to me, nothing is separate. Everything is entangled. Yeah. And, makes sense. and so the only thing that I, in terms of culture and world problems, like, I think I can simplify it to the fact that I want I want culture to reflect the richness of the spirit of the land. If that makes sense. Yeah. That's what I like the when I get up in the morning that's what I am looking for is is to have the same richness of spirit that I find in the land like in in my body and in my life and in, and I I want that to be I'm working towards helping create culture that has that same sense about it which has nothing to do with me i i my work or my poetry or my music or whatever right. i do is just a tool or mm-hmm. it's just a, yeah, a, a lens gotta, or whatever it is yeah you know mm-hmm. it's not my there's no well you're sharing it it's something that you're you know you you seem grounded you know spiritually um physically you know and and you're sharing something it's it's like art you know you're sharing your poetry 
out there. And, and I think it's interesting to do a concert, you know, or just stop. I mean, I'm thinking kind of, but you know, when you sing a song on the side of a road, does that song just keep on living? Like it kind of floats away, you know, mm-hmm. like, but maybe well, someone else will hear it. Yeah, I mean, the, you do, know? The, do the sound waves continue yeah. to travel, and right. or do they break apart? Who knows? Mm-hmm. I I appreciate what you're saying, and I, I mean, I think I'm not asking. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, or you know, I'm just. I'm actually. Well, I said something the other day about uh, Elon Musk being one of the the biggest forces in an environmental movement. Right. And, and I got looked at like I was crazy. And I said, well, what I mean by that is this industrialist, let's say, who, who makes a living off of producing a product that is mass produced that people buy. At some point, he's looking at a system that he knows we all know we can't continue to burn fossil fuels the way we do. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, if, if I want to actually have an impact on the environment, on, on the planet, then I, I can't stop everybody from wanting to travel 100 miles an hour in a car. I can't fix that overnight, right? But I could, we could usher in an era where we're using a much cleaner method of travel. So, you know, I, I think that by, by that impact, by that action and the impact that that action has, you're, you're potentially improving the future in some way versus mm-hmm. just sitting there with your head in the sand saying, well, it looks like we're going to have to use more fossil fuels. You know, we're never going to, I don't see a solution to this problem. Like, well, there is mm-hmm. a solution. So it's well, a, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was sitting at a stoplight the other day and I saw a Tesla and I was thinking a different version of the same thought where I thought, it, I mean, I really don't drive very much, but I do. I do have to drive. I mean, it's it's a and it's a reality. And that I, you I have to lick, face. literally. I mean, I just hate it. I hate it so sure. so so much. And it's mostly because I spend so much time being uncontained. Yeah. That yeah. I just hate being contained. Like, and the more and more that I that I don't drive, and then I and then I do. I it's like I just have these absurd moments where I'm like, this is the most inefficient way of getting around. And everything about it, the design, it's a design flaw. Like there's just so much about it that it is so inefficient and ridiculous. And I was thinking, but who is, if you, if you just told like Mitsubishi, like stop designing, if they just were like, you know what, this is dumb. We're going to stop making cars. Well, where are all the people who are designing those cars going to go and work? And all of those people that are designing those cars are then going to stop going to their timeshare somewhere. And the people who clean those timeshares then, so it's like this, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, This is, this is the problem. But then you have somebody like who designs this car, like you're saying. So it's, I think that we, we have to have both things happening. Like that's what I think. We have to have people who are, you know, figuring out in the meantime, like how do we get off of fossil fuel and how do we, we transition? How do we transition? How do we use, how do we have solar wind, these other things? But I think the flaw is that if we are limiting ourselves to only solar or only Teslas, then 
we're going to end up in the exact same place that we already are because the pattern of capitalism and the pattern of like the predominant mind thinking is it just recenters itself back in the same system of knowing that it knows sure that is the thing that's created the problems which is why we have to have other people who are who are like edge dwellers you know who are like going out on the edges because that's change Mm -hmm. always comes out from the edges so the people who are out on the edges doing all this Mm -hmm. stuff and then they bring it into the middle and then someone meets them in the middle and brings it further into the middle. So like the ultra fringe becomes the not so fringe becomes, right. And like, because when people say we just need to switch to solar and renewables, I'm thinking, well, fine. But if you don't change the relationship to those too, exactly. And, and, and inherently they are, they are furthering the same relationships. Yeah. And the relationships are the problem. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of it, you know, so I sit in some, uh, groups with activists and stuff. And I love, I love people. Uh, boy, that sounds wrong. I don't want to say it that way. Yeah. Well, I, it's not that it's because right. it sounds belittling or something when I say, when you say I love, right. I, I very much respect that there are people out there trying to, you know, be advocates for a different way of doing things and being advocates for the land and the water. We need all of that. Uh, but I, I also think like, but here we are sitting in a heated building, which is obviously heated by, you know, fossil fuels. And then I'm going to go home. I'm going to, we all are leaving this place, getting in our cars, going to our homes. Well, not Ben. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I'm not, you know, yeah. some of them are probably not too. And there's different levels of use and all of that. But I think what you're saying and what I completely agree with is the system has to do something different. Like if we're going to live, I, I have absolute hope that, that humans are around another million years from now or whatever. I believe that we will be, but it will not, things will not be done the way we're doing them now. No. And if you look, histo- I mean, right. historically they have only been done this way for a pretty short time anyway. That's right. <laughs> and that's so right. that's where like, I just start to get I start getting curious about it. And when people get doomsday about environment and climate and all of this stuff, I'm also thinking like, again, you know, like the, the situation is only hopeless within the current thought patterns. Yeah. So yeah. just expand those thought mm-hmm. patterns and use different tools and think about how to be comfortable in the unknown and think about how to be comfortable giving up conveniences or I mean, it's just, it, I even think when, when you watch like these superhero movies and stuff, like I think that's artists sometimes anyway, kind of writing the blueprint of how you get from where we are to a future where yes, it, it does. We have technology and it looks a lot more modern in ways, but you're, but if you notice most of the time, like the environment in those movies looks like it has been cared for very, very well. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, so both can exist at once because if you mm-hmm. can't envision if you can't envision a future where you live in a house because now we all have to live out on the land somewhere or something then people aren't going to go with you but if you can envision a future where yes you live in a house but we don't destroy the planet by sucking all the resources up and polluting everything then you can then you can start to map a path toward a future where those two things can coexist I, and I feel like movies and books and people well, riding around with their bicycle. I mean, and, there's a lot of people. I mean, there's architects working on that. You know, I mean, there's some great new condo type things where they 
have trees growing on the side of buildings on the roof of you know what i mean so that, yeah i mean you know there's lots of it's not happening happen. fast enough i'll tell you that no much, well but. because there's a cost in that too you know but there's a cost in everything right i mean you know your your books that you're giving away i think that's a bargain to get i almost anything handmade that someone actually cares about that i keep as a keepsake or something for $25 it, it seems like Jeez. Well, that's... we've talked a lot about that too. I mean, that that's something that's started a thing that we've been working on for a long time and that is sort of handmade artisan pieces, you know, and the desire that people want that. You know, I mean, we do live in the Amazon world a little bit, you know, where it's Well, we you know, we sold ourselves out when we started and not not any one person, I'm not pointing at mm-hmm. at any single individual, but when we decided that we needed to to offer a kid a piece of plastic shit from China with every little meal they get at McDonald's or whatever, that that's a really bad decision that, you know, because now oh, you're making that thing over there. You know, some of the parts are made here. Some of them are made there. They're shipping that shit all over the world so that my kid can look at it for two minutes and throw it in the garbage. And so, and people don't see a problem with that. Like mm-hmm. that's really a bad idea. But anyway, kind of a tangent <laughs> yeah that was my, my little soapbox it's okay you, you, and i'm not blaming mcdonald's i'm saying we all do it like why 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 is a trip to target not that you not that there's not essentials there at target but it often leads to buying 12 different things you just really didn't need mm-hmm. and it ends up getting thrown out and that's a pattern we can't live with you know Mm-mm. and i mean at a certain point you know i mean i don't know what'll change it but those it's kind of like that car thing with the jobs. I mean, like that's their business model. Yeah, I mean, and, what what happens what, when we stop ordering stuff? And no one has a job then. Yeah, you know, which is why I think it's really important to be dreaming and thinking about what comes next. That's yeah. you know, like when you think about pivotal points in history where there's been like potential change for for like you know the commons to like overtake the system and create something different i think a lot of times the reason that it hasn't happened is because people's and it's like that's the problem with the nonprofit model like (laughs) go ahead and say it i mean (laughs) so like if if we're not creating something to take the place of the thing that we're going to overthrow or that that it's going to fall apart then we're really in trouble which is yep. why we haven't created anything, why nothing else has happened yet. Because we're so busy fundraising that we don't have time to actually do what we're supposed to be doing. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's, <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, sometimes our best intentions just aren't leading to the best actions. So, yeah. Well, we talk a lot about that too, because it's hard to take risks, you know, when you're, when you're caught into the into the whole thing. I mean, we talk about it even, you know, I think how, do you, how do you step out and, and uh, you know, be creative when, you know, you step out and you don't have health insurance or you don't have yeah, you I know, mean, this. I mean, you, know, you, you have to stay within that sort of system. Well, remember, remember John Lurie. I, mm-hmm. loved, I loved when he told this story. So John Lurie is an author and he wrote a book, Canoeing with Jose, and he came in and did a a show with us and one of these days we're getting jose in here he's agreed to it but uh it's difficult to pin pin him down on a date but anyway john tells this story of of you know taking this this 800 mile long trip or thousand mile long canoe trip and at a single point in it 
deep into the trip, uh, kind of being unable to avoid getting sucked into a big rapids and uh, thinking for a moment that everything was over, you know, they were going to get swept into it and then getting out of it. And he, as a, as a middle-aged white guy was like, yeah, that was great. You know, and, and Jose, the um, native American kid with him is like, what the fuck? White people are so weird. Like, because, because that adrenaline rush, adrenaline isn't a good thing. If, if every day you have to wake up and wonder an adrenaline rush for a kid who doesn't eat is, (coughs) am I going to get food today? You know, mm-hmm. so there's that was an interesting conversation with him. Yeah. And and I think, you know, when you're talking about not being able to take a risk because you don't have you, you don't know if the landlord's going to kick you out or if you're going to get health insurance. You know, I think of just the massive amount of creativity that gets mm-hmm. overlooked, gets missed because because people's basic survival is kind of their first priority. And it has mm-hmm. to be, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, and that's where I that's where I was kind of going with it. It's a little bit you're you've worked hard to create a spot that is a privilege that you have it. It's not that you're mm-hmm. you know it, but you've obviously you work hard to do what you do, um, and it and it wasn't something that necessarily was given to you, right? I mean. No, because I, I think even, <clears throat> I don't know, I actually don't know the words, how to how to really say it, but I feel, I, just, I feel like what I said earlier about the spirit and the land, like that's my guiding, kind of my guiding yeah. force. And um, I work with a lot of different outdoor brands and, th- and because of what I do. And one of my, one of my things with that is like, if you're going to sell <clears throat> products for people to go and sleep on the dirt, then you better be like thinking about how complex that is. And you know, that we can't just be treating na- nature as another consumable resource, which right. is what a lot of people do who are, you know, and I don't think things like Instagram have really mm-hmm. helped that situation. No. Um, but <clears throat> I do feel I feel very fortunate to be able to live in the way that I live. And, um, but like I was in a, I had to get my, um, internet redone the other day and I was in this, whatever that store is where you have to go do that. And (laughs) there was this lady next to me trying to get her bill cheaper and her bill was like $180 a month or something because she had like phone and, internet and tv and cable and all this stuff and you know mine was like mine was like 60 it had gone up to 60 because i had forgotten to renew some promotion that they have you do or whatever and i was trying to get it down to 50 and i'm just like oh my god (laughs) but that's the world i live in like i only have internet because obviously i I have to Yeah. yeah but all that other stuff i'm not interested in and um yeah i don't know really what i'm trying to say but (laughs) <laughs> it's all right yeah i i i am i feel very fortunate that like sometimes what i feel most fortunate for is that i didn't i didn't grow up while i grew up with a lot of privilege being a white male yeah um i i didn't ever grow up with a desire to have all of the things that a lot of other people in my place of privilege want yep and um and so i'm thankful that i don't have to carry that around and, and then i've mm. been able to 
do the things that I that I love and want to do. I had a I have a very similar kind of take on things. Like I already have more than I need. I I really don't need anything more than I've got. In fact, I've got too much stuff. I do want you know, I, I look forward to a day where um where I'm more financially stable maybe than I am right now. That'd be great. But uh that's always a plus. Yeah, I mean that's just a it's I wish everybody yeah. that. I wish right. like of all the things I would wish someone financial stability, financial health in a way yeah. is one of the big ones and it's you know, you're never if if you're if you own a huge boat and you've got uh four four-wheelers and stuff and you're saying you're not financially healthy, I don't have a lot of mm-hmm. you know sympathy for you sort of. I don't have a lot of toys. Um but I have more toys than a lot of people have, so whatever you know i think there's something interesting though you were saying about like the creative creativity that's overlooked because people are just trying to survive yeah like i feel like that's where my privilege comes in that's is is that that's right you know like um i get to live really simply and then on top of that i also am privileged to be able to live simply and make art yeah and do it you know follow whatever my like my calling is um or what I feel like I'm put here to do. And, and I get, I've never tried to articulate this before, so I don't know how good of a job I'm going to do, but I, I, it's saddening to me or like, I feel like it's a struggle to figure out like people who don't have the access to the privileges that any of us in this room have, but have the, have enormous creative potential which i actually believe is everybody i do too um inherently yeah but this like the system as i understand it of trying to help people who don't have certain kinds of access to healthcare or food or housing or whatever always frames that as though it it like looks a certain way you know course and and how can that how could that be changed so that it even looks at them as if as oftentimes as if it is of their own making or of their own doing mm-hmm. you know like like yeah i mean i think there's i think there's an issue in the way we frame the response to poverty and the and the reasons for poverty and kind of how how we can handle it i isn't it weird living in a country where we, of just such enormous wealth and so much inequity at the same time and mm-hmm. so much poverty. But, and yeah. And when you start, a friend of mine was uh work for the home, Minneapolis homeless coalition or Minnesota coalition for the homeless. I can never remember the order of the words, right. but um, you know, like, I mean, just a great example. I grew up with this inherent belief because of like my grandpa would say this about people who would stand on the on the exit ramps of the highway yeah. with signs in like if you actually start paying attention i mean the the demographic age just age wise of those people it's it's all over the place but if you if you start really paying attention it's actually older people yeah mm-hmm. and the reason it's older people is because of of one of the housing situations is that you can only make a certain amount of money. This is where I'm not an expert, so I'm sure there's someone sure. who hear this who will know what I'm talking about, or maybe not, but <laughs> I couldn't be making a mistake. But what, as I understand it, and as it was told to me, that there is, in order to qualify for this certain type of housing, you can, 
you can't be making a certain amount of money yes in order to get the housing and then they give you a stipend but after you pay for the housing you end up with essentially a hundred dollars a month which who can live off of a hundred dollars right. a month right. so how are you going to make the rest of the money that you're going to make you're either going to go to crime or you're going to go stand right on an old make it in you cash. know and make it in cash yeah and and just the cultural understanding yeah the general public just thinking these are deadbeat low-life people that's a problem they actually have houses but if they say i have a house but i only have a hundred who's going to give them money right you know? if i right. if they get a job right. they risk everything <clears throat> right yeah well, or they lose their housing and then they literally are homeless yeah but with the yeah i, I know um and so i just think it's so it's infuriating as it is with everything when you actually start understanding what's going on and why things are a certain way. Yeah. Um, and I wish that that could change. I wish there was more transparency and I wish we understood and could talk more openly about why things are the way that they are. Yeah. More transparency and, and a little bit faster moving system. I mean, people get, I know that you can make mistakes when you move too fast, but at the same time, like, I get frustrated with, you know, well, there was another study and then like, yeah, but what happens to everyone while the studies like, let's fix this because we're common sense. Mm -hmm. If you're just human and you're thinking about it, there's a solution. Mm -hmm. I I read a, I know, you know, I'll butcher this statistic too, but we don't care. People, (laughs) it's, it's okay. You get the, you get the gist of what we're getting. This will, this will definitely have some comments that folks will share and share in on, but, you know, um, at one point, I know I read a statistic that, you know, a healthy majority of people who are homeless, not all of them, of course, but a healthy majority of them, not only older, but Vietnam vets. And part of the reason for that is the trauma they they went through. And upon returning, they returned to a population that wasn't happy with them anyway, even though all they did was their job. And, you know, like, but anyway, and... uh so it it just strikes me that like these these people who get at again 18 19 20 years old get asked to do something that they maybe don't even want to do but or they don't know what they're getting into sometimes they think it's their duty whatever and they go and they do something I'm really not into war at all so I'll just say something I I'd rather they didn't have to do at all and then their lives are forever altered and then they're you know they're on the street corner and and all we can kind of say is look at that lazy slob who can't get a job you know well right because we don't treat trauma we treat how it meant and we don't actually treat it we punish how untreated it manifests itself through yeah people. that's a good way to yes you're absolutely right um i don't know what our time is like but i feel like we talked about a solution Okay. Yes. To the world. Yes. And, well, yes. and oh my God, man, is this really going to happen? And I feel, I feel like the only, what I can offer towards that yeah. is that I don't. It's like climate change. I think there is no solution to climate change because to say that there is a solution is to say that we are other than, and that we are, and also to perpetuate the idea of like of human supremacy. Yeah, we can. We fix are going to solve it. Yeah. we are part of. We are entangled in climate change, and yeah. so it's it's a transformation that we're looking. For for more than a solution, I think. Yep. And I think one of the most important components to that transformation is curiosity and imagination and like a sense of being okay falling 
and having no idea what's like what's underneath. Yep. Um, and so I, I offer to read a poem because I, love I, it. I feel like yeah. poetry, that is something that I believe in. Okay, before you do this then, let's say uh, thank you everyone for listening and we'll close it with your poem. And we usually offer people an alt, uh, a way to like... Find you. Yeah, so... Oh, okay. You know, which I always, I always joke about because it's like, well, they're just going to Google Ben Weaver music bicycles and they'll find you. But... Can you point them in the right direction to find anything, anything um, you care about? Yeah, my, my website is probably the best place, although sure. it's not always the most updated, um, which is just benweaver.net. Okay, great. Cool. Yeah, and all my social things are at Ben Weaver Music, and I don't really... I mostly, I guess, use Instagram. But mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. All right. All so right. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for coming in, and we'll let you close we'll it out with a, with a poem. Okay. okay. Yeah, this is a poem I wrote called Considering Leaves, and... Um, it's a poem about power. Great. You could rake leaves while the glaciers melt and horses stand somewhere in a field with the sound of wind blowing rain into their manes. You could go to a job you don't love and live in a house you don't want and sit in traffic and feel trapped watching the eagles dive above the light posts and power lines. Or you could stop raking and lay down in the dirt with the leaves scattering around you, smelling like the coming snow and the rattling ghosts of summer lightning. You could pick up a river and hold it to your eye, watch a turtle crawl through it, the light turbulent out of the sky beyond the bluffs. Instead of serving these mad corporations and lawmakers, oblivious to the dew on the pig's hindquarters at morning, or the effort it takes ducks to find food after such a wet summer, you could sit round a fire next to the lake and listen as the water carries voices from a canoe out somewhere near the middle, back to your camp along the stony shore. And as the fire licks at the red pines, you could uncover a memory that smells like moose hooves and orchids, wild rice hulls and trumpeter swans, and helps you to remember the millions of invisible miracles which must occur within the sky so that a blizzard can become a blizzard. This memory is what the mad kings and architects of the anthropomorphic rivers want you to forget, because if you do not remember the smell or feel of the land, then you will believe anything they tell you about it including that it is just another body to exploit. But if you remember the sound of waves pulling back through the hair of beaches, or the ring of wind among icicles and sparrow caves, then you've not forfeited all of your freedom and power to the ruthlessness of modern convenience. And if you remember otters sliding across the lake at dusk, or a bear rushing back into the alder, then you also remember that you are among the millions of tiny miracles within the sky that allow a blizzard to become a blizzard. And if you can remember this, then you can speak, sing, and dream loud as thunder for every quiet piece of land and water on this earth, because you have not forgotten that you, not the mad kings, are the one with power. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. We love comments and feedback, so go ahead and let us have it. If you'd like to learn more about Andalin and other legacy projects, visit the website at andalin.app or kineticlegacy.us. Take care. Mm-hmm.